Welcome to Coffee Shop Conversations with Forrest Day Jr. I'm Forrest. Today's guest is Sean Mahar. He's a communication expert. He co-wrote a book with Eric Eisenberg called Stop Wasting Words, Leading Through Conscious Communication. Thanks for joining me today, Sean. What kind of information is inside this book? Let me work on the title there for a little bit. Part of our book about Stop Wasting Words suggests fairly emphatically uh, that a lot of people use words that don't necessarily produce anything. They don't accomplish anything. So you can have two people sitting by a water cooler talking for an hour. And when they're done, no work has been accomplished and, and nobody's going to make any decisions. Uh, a lot of people spend much of their day, both at home and at work, engaged in conversations that don't that are not productive. Uh, and that includes making people feel better. That includes lowering blood pressure, improving somebody's artistic sensibilities. Uh, just nothing productive comes from those things. So a lot of people use those words in normal conversations to try to accomplish purposes. And it's hard to do that because the, the, the habits that people have about their language prevent them from moving to that area where they're actually productive. So we believe that if we know what we want to accomplish, we can be more productive. Uh, and one very simple and almost funny, it's funny for me, but it's, it's a surprise for other people, is uh, I get my participants in workshops to compliment each other. It's a simple, simple thing. And so they'll compliment, I'll compliment your headphones, or I'll compliment your suit, or I'll compliment your microphone, I'll compliment your background. Okay, but when I'm done, I feel good because I expressed myself. Now, this is a, a critical juncture here in terms of conscious communication. Expressing myself doesn't necessarily accomplish anything. And so the more I know you, if I knew you just invested money in your background, and I compliment your background, that would be more meaningful. So the question I have is how can we get people to think about the outcome they want to have from their conversation and then use words to accomplish that outcome instead of just express how they feel? Mm -hmm. Now, this has been institutionalized uh, in the courts and in law because the question on the witness stand is what did you say, not what did the other person hear? Um, what did you say to this person? Well, I said such and such. And then maybe the other attorney will say, well, were they asleep when you said that? Uh, so there's this preoccupation with what was said, not what was heard. And that's where we move the pendulum to being conscious about our communication and more effective. I agree with that. I see that at the workplace all the time. Well, he said this to me. And then the discussion goes into, well, maybe he meant this or maybe he meant that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How can people clarify what they're saying? Well, your, your question is very powerful because most people believe they can do that by speaking more clearly, by rehearsing, even rehearsing in front of a mirror, by taking a workshop at Toastmasters, for example. Um, and the preparation is in their own heads. In terms of being conscious about communication, I know with you, the only clarity occurs when you're clear, not when I'm clear. So if I'm using words, and this is very common in medical practices, where the, the medical practitioner, be it a doctor or a nurse or a midwife, uses words not familiar to the other person. In fact, we're looking at uh, a new kind of heating system for our house. And the guy came into the house and he was very clear, but I didn't know most of his words. So I was able to say, whoa, whoa, hold on. I don't know what these words mean. These are not words that are part of my normal vocabulary. And so I brought them down. But most people would not address that. They would just maybe feel dumb, but there's no reason to feel dumb. It's their words, not mine. And all efforts at clarity are useless unless clarity is defined as clarity to the receiver, not clarity to the sender. 
So the normal homework assignment of become right clearly, for example, is use words at an appropriate level for your audience. Well, some people don't know that their computer is capable of telling them if they write something, what grade level it's at. Is it fourth grade, sixth grade, 11th grade, 12th grade? Most people don't know how to change the grade level what they're saying because they're thinking about clarity to themselves, not the audience. So that's a major shift in the work that we cover in our book. Is it the words that people use or is it the tone that people use that becomes more confusing? Well, in, in truth, communication, I think, has been oversimplified thinking that it only has to do with the words we use and the talking we do. Uh, some research suggests as little as 30% of the message is conveyed by our words. And so tone is absolutely critical, as is our faces, as is our, our, our position. Our, our, are we too close or too far away? And that varies culturally. Um, all of these things contribute to the impact I'm having on you, not just the words. And our, our book title about Stop Wasting Words, is it is word-centric because that's where most of the world lives. But the sense of consciousness about communication is being aware of all the things that come to play to help me be effective. One of my favorite uh, TV soap opera things is where one person turns to the other and says, stop yelling at me. I'm not yelling at you. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Neither person is appreciating the other person's point of view. And even though the yelling may not be in volume, it may be in tone. And it may be in getting closer. It may be in exaggerating the way I'm speaking. So, so even the word yelling typically thinks about words, but there's so many ways that shows up. So it really is about what is our impact on the other person? And how do we manage that to be more effective? Can you talk about your example with the coffee cup that you use? As a matter of fact, I have one. Our, our, our listeners aren't going to be able to see it, uh, but I'm going to talk you through it using it to make sure you don't leave any steps out. This is a coffee cup. Yes. Right? And uh, I'm drinking from it, holding onto the handle. And I grab the handle because the handle is the easiest thing for me to hold on to. Now, I want to talk about traditional coffee cups, not styrofoam cups, okay? So that's what I grab. Another reason I grab it is because if the coffee's hot, the cup is hot. And if I put my hand around the cup, I might burn myself, or at least get uncomfortable, distracted, or drop it or burn myself. Now, if I'm going to pass this coffee cup to somebody, and I'm concerned about them, and I respect them, and I want them to grasp it successfully, I will actually pick up the cup by the burning edge, or by the bottom, or by the rim, and offer the handle to them. Because my goal in passing the cup is for them to get it. Now, the application to our book with this coffee cup is I'm going to say something to you. As an example, my daughter had a baby about 10 months ago. Uh, that baby was assessed as, as having allergies to traditional milk, and she needs to have some kinds of soy milk or other kinds of milk available. And, and I'm not up on all the different kinds there are, but if, if my wife says, go get some milk, and I, I just forget what kind of milk I need to get, I'll get the wrong kind of milk. But she wants me to get the right kind of milk. So she won't say, go get the milk. She'll say, go get the ripple or go get the this or go get the oat milk. She'll be more specific, but she still doesn't know if I heard her correctly because my autopilot might just hear milk. So therefore, the value of making sure grasping occurs is checking in which store do you want to go to to get it? Because some stores don't have it. And we have a brief, we're talking maybe five or 10 seconds, that serves as a confirmation that I know what I'm getting and I'm likely to bring it on. So when we're concerned about grasping both with physical objects and with our words, we just check in to make sure they got it. I don't know how to use a better word than profoundly shocking to me when I discovered this. Uh, and I, I, I still don't have the words to do that, but I'm now going to hold up a paperclip. Uh, just, you know, I'm holding the paperclip. 
And I know for a fact that everybody in their lives, since I was about a year and a half old, that gave me a paperclip, checked to make sure I had it before letting go. People care about paperclips. They don't feel like bending over to pick it up or whatever the reason is. We also care about passing a hot cup of coffee. We care about passing the gravy bowl. In every physical act of giving somebody something, maybe I'm, I'm giving myself a look at pictures, we always, always check for grasping. Physically, it is what we do and we never don't do it. And depending upon the seriousness of what we're passing to somebody, we apply more effort to that check for grasping than others. So I'm passing a paperclip. I, I know when you got it, when I don't have it, it's fairly quick. If I'm passing you a baby that's three months old that's squirming, I'm going to double check and triple check to make sure I've got secure hold of that baby before I let go and I think you've got it. And the funniest thing about this and what makes this so profound for me is I discovered one day in a meeting that people were treating their words like objects. They were throwing their words at each other. And no one was catching them. And no one cared that they weren't being caught. They were proud about throwing the words. Now, I'm going I'm to, for example, say, look, you need to do better at this job. All right. Now, I could be talking to my wife. Or I could be talking to somebody I work with. You just need to get better at this. And you might take away from that that I'm upset with you. You might take away from that that I've been harboring this anger for years. You might take away that it's my fault that you're not better because I didn't give you enough material information. Who knows what's going on? But I don't know what you've got. Now, if I really want you better, I'm going to say, can, can we spend some time talking about this? Because, uh, you know, I, I am allergic to peanuts and you keep putting peanuts in the food. You know, this is not going to work in our dating relationship. It's just not going to work unless you're trying to kill me. So, so let's just make sure we're all on the same page here. And so I want to engage the person to make sure they understand what I'm saying. Now, if it's a complex job assignment, I'm going to say, here's my new mission for this department or this organization. Here's the mission. And, and in a current thinking, in current thinking, if somebody interrupts me and says, excuse me, don't interrupt me, that's being rude. Let me finish. And, and in our way of thinking about being kind of communication, that question is somebody's attempt to understand what I'm saying by my mission. That question I want to appreciate. It's an opportunity to get more clear. I'm not going to get clear by speaking what I rehearsed last night. And so people do not give words the same value as they give very cheap objects. They don't care about grasping. And I mentioned in a business meeting, people were throwing words. When the people in that meeting were done with the meeting, they went back to their constituencies and said, I told them what our budgetary constraints were. I told them what our customer concerns were. I told them what our production requirements were. I told them, by golly. And they're proud of having told. They don't even notice if it was grasped. So really, there's a huge switch from giving objects and checking for grasping to giving words and checking for grasping. The reason in my mind for that is accountability. Because when you're handing someone a cup of coffee, you're handing them the cup of coffee. And if someone were to drop it, they would, you know, you dropped it on me, blah, blah, blah. Whereas when you're throwing words, there tends to be not as much accountability. You're, you're right on the target. Um, and I'm not going to go to this place I'm alluding to, but politically, we're aware of people who say things on television and then take no responsibility for it, even to the point of saying they didn't say it. So accountability is definitely part of the picture. An important point I want to make about your point is the giver of the information, the officer who says something to the dispatcher, the giver cares it was received mm -hmm. and hears that repeat back as a confirmation or an affirmation 
that it was received. The giver has learned it doesn't count unless it's been received. And if they hear silence on the other side, they become suspicious. Most normal people haven't had that training. So if I hear nothing back, it means you don't disagree with me. If I hear nothing back, it means you agree with me. If I hear nothing back, it means you agreed. Even to the point of the word yes and sure. Now, I don't mean to go off color here, though I do to some extent. In my workshops, I teach people that if they say something and follow it with a question to check for grasping and say, do you understand what you need to do? And the person says, sure. In a, in a live workshop with a lot of people in the room, I tell them that sure is just in neon lights, the letters S-H-I-T on the person's forehead, because that's all they've got. Sure is a way of passing the time and changing the subject. It does not equal grasping. Neither does yes, neither is okay. I mean, I'm going to read you my credit card number. You got it? Sure. I don't know what that means. It could mean you just want to be polite and cooperative. It could mean you're intimidated by me. The word sure has no real meaning in the concept of evidence. You know, imagine being on the witness stand looking for evidence. So we want to make sure that the evidence is correct here. So tell me what you saw. What I saw was fine. It was sure. That kind of language is not allowed in a court. And I don't allow it in organization of people being paid to be productive. The word sure is a sign of weakness, not a sign of strength. And yet we've been conditioned to think it means grasping has occurred. Now, let's give you a, a more concrete example than that, a simple reproducible one, something that our listeners can, can try out at home. We have largely, Eric and I have largely been trying to fight the habits that people have been learning through grammar school, high school, and college. The habits that are inconsistent with good, sound animal research on how human beings make noises to communicate. And we can do it effectively or we can do it just throwing words out. And then we have problems. Okay. And so for our research, we know, for example, that people tend to get a false sense of confidence if they hear certain buzzwords. And that confidence is make-believe. It's not real. And yet people are happy with it. And here's a concrete example. I'm going to ask you to engage me with this. I'm going to ask you to, Sean, repeat four numbers. And pick four numbers, any four numbers you want. Pick four numbers. And ask me to repeat them back. Five, 12, 18, six. Five, 12, 18, six. Now, be honest. Does that feel good? Does it sound like I got it? Yeah. Now, now here's the, here's the punchline that Eric and I discovered. Ten species of birds can do that exact same thing in multiple languages with no comprehension. They can do it in French, in German, in Russian, in Spanish, in Chinese, perfectly. It has nothing to do with comprehension. And when we do it, it also has nothing to do with comprehension. The trick is realizing, becoming conscious, that there is something human beings can do that no other animal on the planet can do. Now, I want to be respectful of police and fire and taxi cab drivers and, and whatnot, where people need a quick confirmation of the words that were spoken. And if you paraphrase or ad lib, there's a sense that it wasn't received correctly. Because these are life and death situations. If I say, you know, I gave him 10 milligrams or something I'm the, uh, as the uh, EMT, you can't say back, you gave him some. I, I got to hear the 10, you know. So there's a place in our lives where, where precise language does need to be repeated back because that affirms that it was tracked. And it's usually being written down when it's being tracked like that. But for most cases, the truth about repeating something back 
is that we need to paraphrase it in our own words because that is what shows understanding of a concept. A repeat back does not. So if I say to you, the patient in room 15B is a high priority, and you say, sure, I don't know what that means to you. Does that mean you're going to take care of him before you go to lunch? Or you're going to have him be first on your list when you come back for lunch? I don't know what that means. And so for most communication, we really need a paraphrase. And no other animal on the planet can paraphrase. So I'm going to show you what paraphrasing numbers sounds like. Give me four other numbers. Uh, and make it easy. Give them to me from zero to nine. Don't make them hard for me. I'll give them to you in order. Two, seven, eight, nine. Oh, that too easy? No, it's very good. Okay. Two, seven, eight, nine. Two, seven, eight, nine. I hesitated. I paused. I said it a little bit differently than you did. And in all likelihood, I don't know if that was enough of an experiment, your attention became curious after the first two, because he really got it. And so you became conscious of tracking my paraphrase. You do not become conscious of tracking a repeat back. We engage better when we paraphrase. So you ask me to go get the milk. My paraphrase is, um, is that like, you know, for, for my milkshakes or is that for the baby? Oh, it's, it's definitely for the baby. So you should probably get two kinds. Now we have grasping. So grasping necessitates the paraphrase, not the repeat back. So it's both people have to work on this, the, the yes. giver of the information and the receiver of the information. Yes. One of the classic examples of both people working on this is, is the very popular you know, four-person relay race where batons are passed. You know, we, we could blame the giver if it's dropped. We could blame the receiver if it's dropped. But in truth, the giver doesn't give it and let go. The giver gives it to you and is waiting for something, is waiting for communication from the receiver that the baton has been grasped. And that communication is usually a pull, a sense of having control of it. And in conversations, the pull is the paraphrase. I'm just talking a little more about it, making sure I've got it. And we can feel that. So this is very powerful. It's also a major switch in thinking for most people. Now, there, there's a degree to which we have automated our habits mm. around blaming the listener. We set it clearly to our standard, and it's their fault for not listening hard enough. Right? There's a lot, a lot of work around that. A simple, simple and a complex example. A simple example is, and I don't know where you grew up or how you grew up, but you either went in the backyard or out in the street or on the sidewalk, and you would probably you know, have a ball in your hand and have a couple of friends around, and you would toss it back and forth. That game has a name. Do you know what the name of that game is? I would just call it ball, depending on if it's baseball or kick soccer. I'm not really sure. Or catch. 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 Oh, okay. It is called catch, not throw. Yeah. So physically, we know it's all about the catching. Whether I throw you a football, a basketball, a bounce pass, a frisbee, a Nerf ball in the house. I know that my whole physical being is determining the arc, the speed, taking your physical abilities into account. Are you three years old with your hands cupped in front of you? Are you 85 years old with Parkinson and you still want to play ball with me in the backyard? I take all of those things into account and throw it to you based on your ability to catch it with the hopes of your catching it, because that's my goal. When we speak, it's just throw. It's all throw. If the person doesn't get it, we blame them not listening hard enough. Doesn't that seem insane now? It does. <laughs> All, right, all this information is in your book. 
Stop Wasting Words, Leading Through Conscious Communication. Is there anything else you want to add before we go? Yeah, I want to, you know, I, I do like when people buy the book. I mean, that's very nice. Okay. I want to acknowledge that there's a lot of people that have made these discoveries, but they didn't get to work with uh, a PhD like Eric Eisenberg to put them in a book. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this stuff is sometimes available through meditation, uh, through mindfulness. Uh, sometimes people encounter learning these things through their own disciplines. What we do differently is realize that it's a constant state and it's something I can be aware of all the time in conversations with my kids in conversations with my partners, my friends, my wife, uh, in conversations at work. It really is a switch we want to help people make. So their autopilot to just care about what they said and feel good about that is no longer working anymore. Their criteria for success is knowing that what they said was received. And that's what we move towards. So, so there's lots of ways of getting there. I think our book is a helpful way of doing that, but I, I do want to respect this. There's lots of other approaches, including appreciative inquiry. Um, and including nonviolent communication. There's lots of streams out there that do go to the same place, but we think we've done a really good job of organizing for people to be able to learn better. So thank you. You're a, you're a coach too, so do you go out to businesses? I, I just want to be clear on, on what you do. Like, Can people hire you to come out and speak to them? I, I, I want to say this uh, in a way that doesn't sound arrogant, and, and it's hard not to because uh, it, it's, it's sort of an occupational hazard. It's what I do. You know, a guy who hits a good golf ball, you, you don't go over and say, oh, that was a great hit, because I can't. Well, it's what I do. Um, and I usually get people referred to me after they've been to other coaches and therapists. Because my approach is to find out what they're processing, what they're hearing, what's reinforcing their problematic behavior. If they're a boss that doesn't get along with their people, you know, what are they doing instead of coming to me for coaching to talk about what's wrong with their people? I'm very interested in the individual and the way they're processing their own communication. And usually we find out and we uncover that they have a habit. I want to give you two quick examples. Uh, One physician executive I spoke with uh, was going to be fired. His contract was not going to be renewed. um, and, And he was a nice guy. And he was referred to me after other people tried to help him. And what I found out was, and, and, and this you know, to your listeners, maybe laughable, this is the God's honest truth. He and I met after we tried the coaches, and I listened to him attentively. And I just, I just love this guy. I appreciate him, his care for his patients, his concern for his staff. Everything is beautiful. I thought, if people think he's being mean, they must be seeing something I'm not. So instead of listening attentively to him, I looked at him closely. I noticed the pattern about 20 minutes into our conversation. The pattern was he never broke eye contact. He never broke. He always stared at me. He never blinked. He never looked away. He just kept staring. I thought, this is interesting. Let me let me just keep the conversation going and see if that's true. It's my theory. And it was true. For five minutes, I conversed with him, noticing he never broke eye contact. So I interrupted him. I said, uh, Dr. Salazar, I've noticed a pattern that I think might be true. Well, check it out. This is a perfectly normal person, a very successful physician. He's got this, this little behavior. I said, notice you don't break eye contact. And his words were, my parents taught me it was rude to avoid eye contact with people. They taught me to always keep eye contact with people. And so I, I told him, as clearly as I'm saying to you, it's time to outgrow your parents. I don't want to ruin your beliefs about them, but they were wrong. In many cultures, eye contact is offensive. In many cultures, eye contact is a way of showing dominance and power. 
So your automatic always maintaining eye contact is terrible. But I'm not going to talk about that. And this is where my coaching technique differs from other people. I said, I'm going to do it to you. For the next five minutes, I'm going to hold eye contact. Just five minutes. That's all. I'm not going to let go of your eyes. So what do you want to talk about? Let's talk about dogs. Fine. After two and a half minutes, he said, uncle. He, could, he just couldn't handle it. He just couldn't handle it. I just, I just did not let go. So my, my coach, that's a, that's a, it's, it's pretty, I think it's an adequate example. That my coaching strategy is to work with the person and find out what is going on and then try to figure out how to resolve it so that it works for us and then it works for other people. And that's a different style than most people take. And I like it. So now that I know that you do coaching, if somebody wanted to hire you, what do they do? How do they get a hold of you? Uh, they go to the website, which is stopwastingwords.com. And there's a direct access to me by email. My phone number's in there. Uh, they can do some homework initially, and they might be able to help themselves without even talking to me. Uh, we have a 10-question assessment that provides immediate feedback. And if somebody gets one of those questions wrong, they can see what the right answers are right away. And they can learn from that and never call me at all and, 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 and make a better plan for how they want to do their communications. Uh, or I'll tell you my phone number right now is 413-668-5599. Okay, 668-5599. Your um, techniques are going to be so helpful to many people in business and just in everyday life. And again, it's simple. All I want you to listen to and, and the listeners to listen to is this concept of caring about grasping. Care about grasping. When we do that, we change the words we use to try and help people grasp what we're saying better. Thank you for all the helpful words today, Sean. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Real pleasure for us. You take good care of yourself.